0: Welcome to another episode of the ACA podcast, where we talk to people in business and technology and, well, anyone we find interesting. I'm John McFarlane, co-founder of ACA Engine, and in this episode, I talk to Chris Botka from Cisco Collaboration on all things workplace and smart building. So this one runs slightly long, but if smart buildings and connected workplaces are your thing... Chris shares many great insights, so stick with it. If your attention span needs something a little bit more digestible, we always release snippets and highlights on our LinkedIn page. Just search for ACA Engine on the company page section of LinkedIn, or you can always find our other episodes and a lot of information and content at ACAEngine.com. Okay, just straight to the interview between Chris and I. I just realized I've only met you in person that one time in New York, right? And recently you invited me to Texas and I flew all the way to the other side of the world and you weren't even there. So I'm like, oh, thanks for the invite. Oh, but you're not here. So uh, we've only met in person that one time, uh, but we're often on calls early in the morning. Um, So let's start with a question, uh, uh, quite a simple one. What made you jump the fence from system integrator who sort of works with products to a vendor at Cisco who uh, who has the products.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe it's good to give a little bit of uh, context to that. So originally, I started uh, off in building management systems, yeah. uh, energy management systems, uh, in particular with a company that's now it's now acquired by Schneider Electric. Um, And then uh, about 22 years ago, I actually went to PictureTel, who was the video computing company of the uh, late 80s and 90s, and then got acquired by by Polycom. Uh, And then after that, I actually went into the channel for 17 years. So uh, I had both the manufacturing side as well as the channel side. Um, The pace of innovation currently was moving so so rapidly that I think it's a case of you know, I was super excited to be able to have the opportunity for this particular role at Cisco, knowing that some of the innovations that are associated to this and and these smart buildings and how uh, video collaboration devices can be so integral in that to drive user behavior, yep. that I, I realized that's where I can get the most acceleration and make these things happen uh, the most uh, quickly. And you and I saw that yeah, in, in our, our previous, uh, where we sort of met that uh, it's you know it, it it's sometimes slow from a channel perspective to do that, yeah. and I want to be able to drive those channels as well, multiple ones, to get that acceleration in there because I think it's going to have a huge effect to you know the way that people uh, can work inside of a building and the way that it can actually drive engagement inside of a building as well.
0: What I'm sort of saying between um, you know the vendors and service providers or system integrators, uh, is that there's sort of a blurred line now where even, you know, most vendors are offering services. Uh, and just in general, the a smart building or, or a collaborative workplace is quite a complicated thing. So you can't really be isolated as here's the product we do as a vendor. You sort of accidentally or maybe purposefully get pulled into providing services regardless. So I, I think... Anyone that has a SI or service background probably makes a pretty good uh, vendor because they understand how everything comes together, and and um, and that's all the way through. I think from from sales, which today sales sort of plays a key role in, in helping a project uh, have the right gear and the right stuff and the right user experience, um, all the way through to you know supporting. The products as a vendor, so, so I I think your career progression um, and sort of jumping between services and product over your career makes you accidentally perfect for what you're doing now in in uh, working with clients and 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 partners to sort of drive innovation in in smart workplace in particular.
1: Yeah, and so it's, it's one of the things. Uh, one of the things um, when I left PictureTel uh, was really that the product at that at that stage was really, really, really good. But to make it work, you really wanted a good service and a managed service around that as well. Yeah. So you're right. Uh, then my career really was there on the managed services side more than anything. And knowing it's that's the glue in the middle that makes it all work. And you know where I find is uh, obviously uh, Cisco has a tremendous channel Uh, a channel partner, um, worldwide channel partners that are there and many of them have their own platform. Some of them use that just to manage IT managed services. Some of them do use it just for video collaboration managed services. So there's a great opportunity for both to take on both sides of that because you need all of it from a a networking perspective, from a device perspective and everything else in between to then be able to add the real, real value. And I think for the channels you know because part of the challenge in this industry has been you know people just say oh I need video conferencing, check and don't take into account the experience Aspect of that. Don't take into account how you can drive that experience for engaging, uh, engaging users. It doesn't cross their mind. Yeah. And you know, when you have that all integrated, a partner can deliver that into the different environments that a customer has. Because not every customer is going to have the same building management system, and you guys know that. Yeah, you know, that's why you have your platform because you know it can adapt to all the different elements. That a customer may have that you need to integrate, where they may use different vendors themselves for their catering, for their parking, you know, for you know, for any of those aspects.
0: Do, do you think there's any uh, any gaps in in service providers? So, so as Cisco, you're working with a number of partners, um, very well established partner network at Cisco. When it comes to smart workplace, though, that's a lot of it's so new, and the concepts are new, and uh, I think the workplaces themselves are driving it, so like the, the large, in our experience, it's like the large business consulting firms, accounting firms, they're really innovative yeah. compared to the uh, to a lot of the providers. Are you finding there's gaps, and, and do you see those gaps closing, and or are there still challenges uh, to sell everything? Uh, your vision, which I think we'll go over in a bit more detail, uh, but your vision for a smart and connected workplace is it achievable with the current um set of sort of partners and and the the stock standard system integrators out there
1: so to, to answer your first question yes there are absolutely gaps and i absolutely see that yes yeah. um, but i think what you're seeing in the in the partner community as well is that they also realize a lot of value can be uh achieved through API integrations Mm -hmm. through giving giving customers uh, environments that work inside of their workflow as opposed to just giving them tools and saying, here's a piece of technology, you figure out how to use it, and we're just going to sell the technology. So and, and I'll give you I'll give you a specific example of that. So you know you, you obviously Cisco has a really breadth of different types of partners. You have the the IT integrators as, yeah. as one sort of community you have the traditional uh, telco service provider-type uh, partners as another community, and then you have sort of the, the VARs in the middle, so the AV-type of integrators as well, you know, sitting sort of uh, in, in the middle there. So on the AV side, it's when you, when you step back and you look at what those partners do, I already gave an example earlier on, is where you know, quite a few of the AV, more of the AV-type companies that do video-managed services do it just for video. They don't touch network. They don't touch data center. They don't touch you know, IoT. They don't touch security. Yep. And then you have the, um, and then you have the IT integrators that don't touch video and don't touch collab, but they touch all the other other pieces. So if you now take it from a, uh, an, uh, an IT integrator and you say, okay, well, now as part of that building, it's going to expose you potentially to be able to do the video collaboration piece as well because that's the interface yeah. back, to the, back to the user. And with that, you can actually drive user behavior in there as well. And we'll probably talk about some of you know, some, some examples of that. But typically, they were, there were barriers to entry for them. And two major ones. One was they would have to buy an MCU, a bridge, in order to be able to manage video video calls. Yep. And then secondly is they would have to hire conference producers that would manage the calls on those bridge. Yep. Both big barriers to entries. If you now look at the Cisco WebEx devices, they have voice assistant built in called WebEx Assistant. Mm-hmm. And over time, we'll have APIs going into those as well, where you can, where you can control you know, what, what comes in and out from a, voice, uh, from a voice perspective. And because WebEx itself has APIs, if I'm in a meeting, I can now control WebEx itself. So now you have the opportunity to offer virtual conference producer where I'm taking the, hey, add me this site, hey, drop so-and-so, connect so-and-so, mute this site, unmute this site, all those sort of things from that you would get with a human concierge service, you could now get through a virtual concierge service. So now those IT integrators have two barriers, not needing to buy the bridge and then not having to hire a whole bunch of conference producers to manage that. So that would give them an incentive to be able to jump onto that side of the wagon. Likewise, in reverse, on the sort of more traditional AV reseller and integrator and managed service providers, yeah, they now with AV moving more and more over to IP and more and more over to IoT. And again, you, know, you guys at ACA have been uh, uh, sort of at the center of some of those things. And you know, one of the things when you and I first met that really got me excited was the ability that you were already managing the AV in thousands of conference rooms all on a single server without having to have dedicated controllers in there and racks and cabling and proprietary stuff. So now you have an opportunity for the AV reseller to say, hey, can I help migrate some of my business to sort of supplement it with also doing sort of virtualized AV yep. where I can use IoT devices and AV over IP without having the cost of the controller and more importantly, the racking and the stacking and all of the other things and the you know, proprietary control programs that go with that. Yeah. So A- I think what's AV's, fascinating is-
0: AV is interesting. Let me just comment on that before we move uh, beyond it. So at ACA, we, we definitely started uh, with audio visual. Um, Today, though, it's, it's not in many of our projects at all. So but what's consistent is th- the concept's the same. So instead of connecting to a audio DSP, a video switch, a TV, uh, and controlling those devices, we're now connecting to um, a lot of Cisco gear, Wi-Fi uh, to do triangulation of people, desk sensors, building access control. Our platform hasn't changed to achieve that. It's just we shifted our focus to this more general smart building IoT without having to make any changes and realizing, oh, we're accidentally sort of experts in this area. And I think audiovisual technologists and companies in general could make that transition very easily for the same reasons. But but a lot of them are not thinking that way. They're They're sort of... Only looking at the, the 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 tech in a meeting room and and trying to uh, have sort of products live longer than they really need to, uh, instead of saying, "Well, how do we everything we've learned, everything we know, how do we apply this to the building?" Because we're in the best position to be uh, an IoT integrator, not an AV integrator. I think that's the transition um, some some companies are making. Uh, but very few in my experience, but I I think they might more will get there eventually. So, so
1: I'll give you um, the history lesson that's associated to that, that I typically say to those partners where, you know, they they want to focus on what they've known. Um, If you go back exactly 10 years ago, um, Cisco hadn't acquired Tamburg at that stage, and the big IT integrators didn't do video conferencing. Even though you already had video over IP for since the early 2000s, when it was whatever it was 323 protocols and what have you. Yeah. Then, but today, the IT integrators sell more video devices than the AV integrators who traditionally have been on that video side. Yeah. Why? Because when Cisco acquired Tamburg, it basically ratified and said, hey, IT integrators, these are just IP devices, like anything else. So the IT integrators then turned around and said, okay, well, if it's just an IP device. That's what we do. That's our business. That's what we do. Yep. So then you saw them buying and attaching video devices like crazy, and they went exponential. So now you've got to ask yourself the same question 10 years later and say, if the AV components getting more and more IP connected, becoming more and more IoT, do you think this time around the IT integrators are going to turn around and say, oh, you know what? No, now that it's IP, but if it's still AV, we'll leave that for the AV integrators to go and do that. Yeah, I think that's the risk that the AV integrator has to look at, that when the, when the racks and the dedicated controllers and the proprietary standards get moved over to IoT and IP, it opens up for the IT integrators to say, this is just software now, that's what we do. We build software control and what have you, that's what we do. So I think there's a significant risk there. You're actually right, many AV integrators won't won't make that transition quick enough. But there'll be many that will figure that out and go, wow, we need to be in that. And the beauty of it is, is it is not going to happen overnight. So it's not suddenly going to be a a flip the switch change. So in essence, what I'm saying to the AV partners is you can migrate your business. And because guess what? If you've got a dedicated programmer for AV programming, they can program. They can do that same programming with RESTful APIs and 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 what have you. So they fundamentally know how
0: to program. It's just a different language they need to use, and many of them can use those languages already It's today. an easier language. So if if they're programming in these traditional, <laughs> these traditional uh, AV control and and those sort of products, that's uh, no one really teaches that programming language anymore. But uh, so there's not many examples except those things. If you get into the open API world. You can trial and error, uh, just learn from the documentation. So I, I think that yeah, there's there's probably fear of the unknown, and a lot of them haven't moved into that area because they don't know, or they might not even know that there's opportunities here. But it's all it's also like a double-edged sword. I'm saying where the ones that aren't slowly moving, and and I agree, it won't happen. It doesn't change that quickly. I mean, we do have it. We do have projects where that sort of uh, risk has already happened, where some non-AV company just took care of the AV because they were already doing, you know, the network and other components. Um, And and, and for us at ACA, that was an easier sort of uh, partner to work with than a lot of the audiovisual companies because they weren't blockers. They weren't um, uh, trying to stop something from happening so what they normally do can happen. And this is where my company has to tread very carefully because uh, some of these big system integrators see us as a threat because we do things that are in their world, but we don't look to that world. We're looking to the much broader smart building. And, and we, to be frank, don't care about the meeting room technology. All we care about is can it integrate with everything else we do so we can have a seamless user experience. Um, yep. Let, let, let me touch on sort of a, a, a new uh, subject. We already sort of went over some of the gaps in in, in providing all of this as a service. And you mentioned uh, how the user experience gap is starting to improve because of things like voice control built into WebEx. Um, th- that's really interesting to me because a lot of my uh, messaging and a lot of my articles, I'm, I'm constantly writing about how the future of the interface is no interface no uh like just (laughs) walk into a space and it should work Uh, if we can achieve passive interaction um or interaction i should say uh that's what we should do and the it's also one of the biggest gaps from the the standard um it or av or even you know uh bms company we work with user experience is not their strong suit and we're finding that we have to partner with like another company to fill that gap, so like a, a creative agency that builds web apps and uh, interfaces. And they do a great job at that, but they only go as far as the interface. Then we need someone else to do the integration. That, that's the gap. That's our challenge currently. But that sort of goes away when we don't need the interface at all, and we can just depend on uh, uh, two, two things Cisco can do for us. Uh, Cisco DNA Spaces, Cisco Meraki, we can track people and then trigger actions based on that user profile. So there's no need to open an app and touch things. So there's no need to get an app developer to, to, to build something. Uh, and then when you get into the space, there's obviously all the uh, additional Cisco integrations. And, and voice is very interesting to me. Um, and I only started experiencing it at, at the recent um, Cisco hackathon um, that you invited me to in in, uh, in Texas, in Dallas. And to see how easy it was for all of these programmers to just program their own um, commands. So you don't have to yep. use like all the off the shelf commands that come with it. You can make your own, uh, you know, listen out for keywords and, and trigger actions externally from the Cisco ecosystem. Um, so so that's a really uh, strong move to sort of not, to, to break it out of an ecosystem. And a lot of vendors, don't allow you to do that. They might have features that allow you to do, to do cool stuff as long as you have all their other products. But now we can take this and, and do almost anything we want, including uh, monitoring anything in the building. Uh, so with you know, ACA engine integrations, Cisco, Webex with the voice, and maybe perhaps a Schneider integration, we can control the whole building with voice, not just the meeting, and you know, people might get confused. Like it's, it's sort of under the WebEx category. It doesn't have to be anything to do with video conferencing or video collaboration. Am I correct? Correct. In that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, so the so the analogy that I typically give is you know, is you know, is the uh, is the iPhone analogy. You know, it's it's a great yeah it's a great phone, um, but it does so much more because of the applications that you can write to it. So it can be my emergency device. If there's an issue going on here at the state level or the town level or the, or the federal level, you know I get emergency notifications coming through there as well. I can use it as a phone you know, normally, but then it has other aspects. That hasn't really happened inside of the video world, so people still see video conferencing systems as video conferencing systems, and what they really are are smart collaboration devices. And you gave you gave some. Uh, examples there. One of them being very, very open. And you know, one of the things that uh, that you hacked on as well was simple little things like saying, you know, to saying to the system to the what's the smart collaboration device in that room? Hey, I'm chilly. It recognizes that. It knows it's associated. It can understand Cisco did a number of acquisitions over the last couple of years related around voice. Uh, one of them with mind meld is specifically around context. So it can understand context. So when you say, I'm chilly, and and I know you guys did that specifically, that one, it realizes that, hey, that context is related to how that person is feeling. And it's related to the fact that they want the temperature to be higher in that space. Let me go and tell the building management system to go and increase the temperature in that space. So it's not just about being able to uh, transcribe a voice, but it's also about understanding the context yep. so that different people can say different things. They could say, hey, I'm chilly. They could say, I'm cold. They could say, could you increase the temperature? You know, those things we take for granted as human beings knowing what they mean, but you need to have an engine that can build context around that. Yep. I- and that's really what, we, what, we, what we've built and then in terms of, you know, like you said, uh, having no user interface as being the best user interface, if I, and this is already you can do today, if I walk into a, a uh, Cisco room that has a Cisco WebEx device in there, you know, it can recognize who I am and it can launch my meeting for me and can ask me that as well before it does it. So yeah. the problem that you often have with Alexa and some of these others is you always have to instigate it. The human has to instigate it. Yeah. But if I walk into a Cisco room and it recognizes who it is who it is, and says, hey, Chris, I re- I recognize you've got a meeting in 10 minutes. Would you like me to launch that for you now? Or would you yeah. like me to call in at uh, the exact time? Or would you like me to remind you at that time? Yeah. So the, the, then it's, the interfacing, key, it's think, interfacing with me.
0: I think the key there and, and the summary really is if you have context Aware systems, uh, you don't. We can move away from the traditional graphical user interface, and and that yes. that takes away a huge dependency on some of the existing channel partners. If they don't, if they can just uh, you know train the context rather than build interface uh, through admin tools rather than you know having to code or design. Uh, design is the hardest part, actually. Like when you have to design a user interface, that's weeks or months of workshopping, etc. Yep. It's it's a long process, and something if we can avoid that, plus have a better experience as the result of that, um, that that's that's really interesting. I, I think with Cisco in particular, the reason uh, ACA has sort of clicked with us recently, and, and if you look at any of our content, we're very uh, pro Cisco, and and. Uh, I guess for everyone listening to this podcast to sort of emphasize, we don't really have a commercial relationship between Cisco and ACA. It's it's purely that we're selfish in what we recommend because we recommend things that work well for us. And if that's our aim at ACA, to find context-aware systems, Cisco gives us a number of things that can go further than um, what we can imagine right now because we can start cross-referencing Multiple context-aware systems. So within the Cisco ecosystem, so uh, you know, tracking people with with Wi-Fi products and network products to uh, facial recognition built into the upcoming WebEx products, um, and everything in between uh, is sort of giving us multiple uh, sort of cross-reference points for people, uh, so their location, um, and when you match people to location, we can start. Programming or, or teaching the system the context. So if a person is at a desk, yes. uh, trigger an action. If a person's in a lobby, if a person's in a cafe, if a person's uh, commuting to work, so so all of these things can just trigger the appropriate context-based interface. And and the, and here's another thing to sort of touch on: that the, the replacing, you still need visual feedback in in some user uh, scenarios. So. When I say we want Absolutely. to replace the app, there's still opportunities to have uh, visual feedback. And for me, I think that's more in um, collaboration environments. So there's there's now card-style interfaces which allow you to do like quick responses, so buttons that pop up based on context uh, that are completely programmable. So you can have a card-style interface in um, WebEx Teams, for example, uh, but in also the other collaboration platforms, Slack, etc. I think that's the new environment, uh, particularly in Workplace, that the customer lives in. They're already in that environment. So let's make any visual feedback, any message they need to know happen there rather than in a another interface they have to load and log into.
1: Absolutely. And I think... There's two fundamentals to the whole premise of what you just discussed there. One is from your perspective, from an ACA engine perspective, it's all about being a platform and it's all about being open to connect into because you can't every building is different so you need to be open and we're on that same side from a Cisco perspective it's all about being open whether it's the device in the room that's an open device whether it's the network that's open that you can integrate into and that's why I said earlier on the value proposition to the Cisco partners are immense because they can now take these environments and instead of force feeding tools into a customer it's like hey whatever your workflow is we can build uh, you know, smart collaboration spaces and and collaboration itself into your workflow instead of the, instead of the other way around, yeah. and that means you save a massive amount on training for the end user because you're doing something in an environment they're already familiar with. And by the way, that's very alien in a lot of organisations where they may have multiple platforms. They you know I, I know customers where they say, well, we, we use Microsoft for just doing messaging. We use Slack for team collaboration, and then you know we use GoToMeeting for, you know, for web conferencing. And they expect IT expects their users to be familiar with every single platform. And when they come out of their SAP or Oracle or their portal that they're working in all day long, they expect them to know which platform to choose and what to do and be an expert in all of that. That to me is the wrong way of doing it. You want to build it into, if they sit inside of SAP or Oracle or their own portal, you want to build collaboration into that, which you can do with other platforms as well. What you can't then do is bring in the room Environment into that also, so all of them, many of them work well as long as everybody's sitting on a laptop or a PC. but the moment that you have a group of people that are sitting in a conference room then then those things tend to fall apart and I think that's really where Cisco has a unique advantage in covering all of those modalities from workflow, mobile desk and the rooms themselves as well
0: yeah and and then ACA engine can connect to third party things to bring into this sort of cross referencing and that might be as simple yeah. as um, Office three six five to to uh, to see to see people's schedule to see what location they're in and then to apply that to context of well these group of people are trying to organize a meeting uh, three of them are in Oslo two of them are in Sydney uh, so we need a, a small room in in Sydney a slightly larger room in Oslo and we need a video call between them and and that's where if we can you know tie into other you know Records of truth, such as Office 365 or whatever's doing the scheduling, uh, just that one, yeah. that one extra integration brings in all of these additional experiences. Let alone the, the, the yeah. five or six other integrations we could probably scope and, and come up with new ideas on how to improve workflows and efficiencies, uh, which you know, is, is often that, that workflow automation is often overlooked when everyone, again, coming back to the app, when everyone's focused on, a, on an app because if you can't see it, they don't scope it. So uh, got. if you start thinking outside the app, you're like, oh, we can actually just automate all this workflow, and you don't need to use an app. So I, I think you're definitely on the same page there. How, how do you find that's uh, reflected in Cisco generally? Is, it, is this because you're, I, I hope this isn't just because you're sort of slightly new to Cisco and excited, and you're looking at this as an opportunity. Do you feel like Cisco broadly, uh, thinks the same as you and I
1: so I I think the answer is yes in terms of there's a big focus on workplace transformation and this is an element I don't personally I don't like the word workplace transformation because it's like managed service it has a different meaning to different people so that's one of the reasons why I always focus on the workplace experience piece because if I drive a great experience on the workflow and the physical experience from a, a video audio perspective, no matter what the environment is, I'm likely to be able to drive the best engagement. If I drive the best engagement, then that's going to help me attracting people, retaining, it's gonna drive me agility. I'm gonna get a much better, I can get a better efficient use of the real estate and optimize the workplace. I can do all of those, all of those things. Um, what we've recently done as well at Cisco is, is you know, we've got these industri- industry groups and one of them is you know, a smart buildings industry group. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the, in, in all fairness as well, from a, a lot of the, how do you drive user behavior in an automated way instead of just looking at the analytics and then, and then trying to figure it out post? How do I affect the user real time? A lot of those things are relatively new from a technology perspective, within the last year or so. So, you know, or the 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 reality of it is is we can now actually do it with the with the technologies that we actually have, and that's 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 wider uh, across Cisco now than it uh, than it ever has been.
0: Yeah, I think um, what I saw when I was at the uh, the hackathon recently, even simple things like. Uh, Different groups and departments and, and product managers at Cisco working with other product managers, uh, because if if and that that's good to see because if they're siloed, there, there's there could be uh, yeah. double handling in in one way or or things that just don't uh, don't work together as a solution. And and for a little while, I was I was confused between um, uh, what used to be called Cisco CMX and. Uh, and the functionality we could get from Meraki, but I can now see Cisco CMX as part of Cisco DNA Spaces, which is working very closely with Meraki, uh, and they're complementary; they're not competing with each other. So it's it's not easy to achieve uh, that in large organizations with a large product catalog. Um, but it's it's good. I think what's driving this really is is the adoption of open APIs. And uh, you know, a little while ago there, there wasn't that available to to the market and and now uh, it's you know this growth for both mentality that uh, ISV's and channel partners can build build their own solutions if you give the developers access to all the possible functions and let them come up with the ideas
1: yeah well and and, and, you know I think this is uh, specifically over the last 18 months it's accelerated and we just announced to the uh, partners, this uh, you know, this last week, uh, which is public now, is this you know, this this single platform that we've been working towards. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. It was it was bespoke, and you know, part of that is just. The, you know, the process of acquiring companies and what have you and then putting them together. Um, we're doing extremely well putting that together into a single platform where you've got messaging, meet, calling, devices and contact center all on a single platform, but you can consume it in any which way that you want. So we're, I think, you know a couple of two, three years ago, it was very much about, oh, well, we gotta be cloud, cloud, cloud and because you know, everybody's being cloud, cloud, cloud. Now it's like, yeah, we are cloud, but we're also on-prem and we're also hybrid. So those customers that want to take a step, one step at a time, we can absolutely do that. And, you know, there's things even on the contact center side where you could have an Avaya PBX at your local site and you can actually connect it into the Cisco cloud through WebEx Edge. And then you could get common, you know, voicemail and and call routing and IVRs and everything else that could be common, even though you might not have Cisco uh, actual sort of uh, call control sitting at your actual, um, you know, buildings. So, you know, it's that openness and that platform approach with devices and things into it that give a phenomenal experience that really you know that allows us to do these things like smart buildings as well and really start to make a difference to drive the outcomes that a customer is ultimately looking for
0: particularly smart buildings is quite important to have that on-prem or cloud as an option uh yep in in my experience it's still the smart building because it's a building because it's tied to the building industry it's very much a a capital industry so they That's they exactly right. they build something, <laughs> they they have a, a fund that they raise to, to fund everything as a capital budget. So if you come into a smart building with five or six cloud platforms that are OPEX, uh, they just don't have a, a process. There is no process of spending their capital budget on an OPEX uh, uh, yep. solution. So we we have that flexibility now. It's easy for us because we're software, so it's, it's we can just license it in... Uh, in OPEX or a capital way Um, but a lot of people I've seen other vendors miss opportunities because they only offered cloud Uh, and and that's something that anyone trying to get into smart buildings needs needs to consider you can't force cloud onto the building industry it's just uh, the appetite for it isn't there yet correct
1: that's absolutely right which is why if you have the models that we have at Cisco then you give the customer the choice to start today, and to do it with what makes the most sense for them as well. And some of them, you know, they may have bought you know, a, a call manager or contact center on prem, you know, two years ago or three yeah. years ago, and they may say, "Hey, I've got a five-year depreciation on this, so I can't get rid of it yet because I invested a huge amount then." So that that's fine, but it doesn't mean that you then have to wait another three years before you can then start, take advantage of some of the cloud things, you can do that today and have them both coexist.
0: It's definitely a hybrid. And and particularly as you, if you look at smart building as the building operators and the tenants, so like the workplace, they might run some solutions globally. So obviously that makes sense to be a cloud solution, but the tenant solution will be right. on-prem. So so it, it is, it's not easy. And that's, it's again, the, uh, going back to those challenges and gaps in the market, not everyone gets it from, from the, it's not a technical challenge. It's, it's understanding the landscape. And, and if you're not working in the landscape, you just don't know. So there's uh yeah, it's, it's, this is emerging and moving so quickly. It's. Uh, catching up as part of the challenge very
1: quickly yeah. and you know and, and well i think one of the exciting things about having our own smart buildings industrial group is it does give us the ability also to start influencing at the architect and engineering and at the yeah. consultant level and start to also influence the standards uh, around that as well ASHRAE obviously being one you know one one example of that because the effect that we can have i'll give you one specific example that 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 is is Again, that's currently being uh, being worked on, and the impact it could have to users is um, uh, CO two. So there's legislation yeah. that's coming in that says if you uh, exceed a certain CO two level in an area, then it's deemed to be unsafe to you know unsafe to work in that. So, and in particular, if you think the impact of lots of people and organisations moving to huddle spaces where they get a lot of small rooms, sometimes they just have common. Air conditioning associated to the whole floor, and I have personally, and I'm sure you have as well, at different locations where you say, "Hey, can I just borrow your your little huddle space or whatever to do a call before or after the meeting?" And after five minutes, you're out of there because it's either boiling hot or freezing cold. Yeah. Because it just happens to be where they where they you know where they put the ducts. Well, once we start to we just announced the uh, the Desk Pro that uh, measures CO two, so we then have the ability during a call that hey, if the CO two level exceeds a certain threshold and your engine can power that then it's either a signal to the bms system but if it's not possible because you have no individual vav control there then you can actually again using webex assistant and pushing dis- the messages to the display say hey look it's now unsafe to work in here please you know move out now you could extend that to potentially a panel on the outside that typically would only be used for scheduling, you could extend that to say, for example, I'm going to turn that yellow when this room is unsafe to work in. Yeah. So now, if I'm the if I'm the tenant and I pay for certain services and I'm looking at my floor there, I'm seeing I've got five rooms that are showing yellow. Yeah, I'm paying to have uh, air conditioning services there, but the this there's a supply isn't there to do it then i can go back to the owner of the building and say hey look i'm paying for this these you're providing me with an unsafe area to go and work in and typically it was never measured so if you couldn't measure they'd get away with it and the owner would never or the tenants would never know it's like oh there's a whole area that we can't use because it's either too hot or too cold now if you bring in carbon dioxide levels into that as well then it'll be like okay now i can start to impact how people, I mean, we've all been in those rooms where it gets stuffy and what happens is you're not as productive because you start to just phew, yeah. you know, fall off the edge of a cliff. That, that, that's, so, yeah, you know, those a types point. of things of how you can drive things are, are really valuable.
0: That uh, Safety is something we're starting to do a bit more of and, and I guess it's not as, like, sexy as the other user experience stuff we do, So uh, it's, mm. it's, but it's now coming up as, as uh, as I said earlier, when we start looking at workflow automation, that that's another area where we can trigger alerts yeah. and, and interfaces for security, people concerned with security. But this is a good segue into one of the questions I, was, I, I had penciled down to ask, is uh, uh, the, sort of the changing face of the customer. It, uh, the CO2 thing for me is, uh, is interesting. I hear it a lot from human resources. So when we go in and sell our solution, if it's a tenancy like a workplace, Uh, it's typically to a C level it person, someone that has workplace in their job title, maybe workplace experience manager or something like that. And there'll be someone from human resources and they're sort of, it it comes up in almost every meeting now. How do we monitor air quality? Because we we know, or maybe there's been some research lately or they've gone to a conference that. if, if the air quality is low people are less productive they they're sluggish uh, yep. and then they start asking like well how do we monitor this and 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 look uh, and monitor the outcome of the employees so uh, you know some of our customers are having ideas like well how many more coffees are, are they having when the air quality is low because they're feeling down and they need like a caffeine hit or something like that and and these are like the, the sort of things where like it might sound like a gimmick but those experiences are really driving uh, platform-based solutions because we can listen to those ideas and be like, yeah, we can do that. And, and then we, they can work out with us or with a consultant. Uh, should we do that? Is that, a, is that worth knowing? Is that worth cross-referencing? And, and it all comes down to like, what is the purpose and intent of this workplace?
1: But what I would add to that, John, is, is you know, and, and we touched on a little bit earlier on, what you're talking about and most customers then think is, great, I'm getting the analytics of what it is, I'm getting then the behavior of what people do. What I'm saying is if you put the Cisco Webex devices in there, you have an ability to drive the user behavior in real time. Yeah. So rather than do the example that you have, which is the cause and effect, the cause is the air quality is bad. The effect is that people leave the meeting to go and have a coffee or to yeah. go and have a drink to get the hell out of there. That's not good. Yeah. That's not good. That's a that's a huge productivity you know Im- impact. So rather than doing that, what can you do real time? If I'm measuring it real time and I know it's happening and I know I can't make a change because there's no physical air handling unit that's supplying that particular space that can that can do that, I can move the user. So in other words, before the user starts to feel the effects. I know it's already getting up there. So now I can say to the user, look, the air quality is getting low in this room. Let me move you to this other room that's available here and I'll transfer the call across there. Would you like to do that? Yes or no. And if they yep. say yes, and then when they come out of that room, that room is shut down until the air quality goes back to a safe temperature. And it's I think what people you know, are so focused often on the analytics, yep. but the user doesn't care about the analytics. The analytics are done post. Very valuable. It doesn't impact the user. It's really valuable for the IT manager or the the facilities manager or HR, but it doesn't help the user in real time. And I think that's the excitement that that we now have the possibility to drive the user in real time. A simple example there would be as well, if you have a conference room that can hold 20 and two people are using it. Happens all the time. You don't know. And you might say, "Great, the conference room is being used," but you don't know that it's being way underutilized. Well, again, if I know and I have a people count on the device that says I got two people in here, then I can say to, the, to those two people, "Hey, by the way, there's another room further along that seats four people. Would you like me to move this call?" And if they say no, you record that. So they made a choice, and maybe you have the right to go and do that. But at least you're giving them an option. The moment that they realise that's being then tracked. Because, of course, the moment I ask the question, they realize, oh, somebody knows there's only two of us in here. There's probably an 80% probability that those users are going to say, yes, I'll move. Because once they know the question's being asked, they know it's being tracked. So now they know they know they're not. And you could take that down to the energy level as well. So you can take the guilt aspect from that to say, hey, it's going to cost X amount of dollars more. To condition this room compared to the small space that we could put you in. So now you have a lot of the IWS systems have that ability as well, where they can cost out what the energy consumption is on a per on a per room basis, and then feed back in, so the user can make you know can make a real time choice. I mean, and you, you can guide you could them even, into uh, making the right decisions.
0: You could even have a a logic trigger that if if the room is underutilized. Uh, they can stay there, but we turn everything off. We, we turn off the air conditioning, we, uh, we save energy consumption, unless unless That's enough right. people are in the room <laughs> to be over the threshold. So yeah, the, I mean, the, I, I could completely agree with um, with data is much more powerful if it's being used as an input to a user experience uh, and to drive yep. change. Uh, and, and even the, the, the data you're collecting long term as analytics can, can recognize patterns and then again go back into the system to to be better at that context that we were talking about earlier so if if we're collecting long-term data we see patterns on at certain times of the day in certain spaces we we can then take better educated guesses about what to do in that space at that time
1: absolutely absolutely
0: and 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 that's not ai that's that's uh that's just logic and that's (laughs) <laughs> so, that's something we can achieve like right now. And a lot of people say yeah. things like that as Oh, that's uh, smart building AI. I'm like, well, no, there's a misconception of what AI actually is. And, and AI, like many things, you should use it if you need it. But if you don't need it, logic is much more, um, uh, resource available. So if you want to run uh, AI, yeah. that's, that's, uh. you're going to need a whole, uh, you know, service to do so. And, and that's expensive and, uh, and will take time yeah
1: yes and I, the example that i typically given that as well because i say exactly the same thing i dropped the a out of uh, ai and um is one where you know let's say there's four of you sitting in a in a conference room you're having a, a video meeting and then you want to extend it and you ask you ask the system hey can i extend this meeting and then it says no you can't but i can find another room for you you know, one of the ways of finding the other rooms to go back to the uh, facilities management scheduling system there and say, okay, what rooms do I have available that can seat four people and aren't scheduled? Okay, I've got these four rooms available. Let me look inside of them. Wow, three of them have squatters in them. I will intelligently send you to the fourth room that is not scheduled and doesn't have any any squatters. There's no yeah. A in that I, it's just the I piece. I'm gonna intelligently go and schedule it there. Yeah. And then you know the exciting thing of that is when you start to integrate it into the fabric of the building and the energy consumption of the building, and then you tie that into what's happening in the outside world. You know, we're currently on opposite sides of the world. So for you, it's, it's in the morning, I can see the sun is blazing through and you've got the shades over there. For yeah. me, it's dark and it's cold outside, so it doesn't matter. But if you're in an office building there and it's in the morning and it's a summer's day and the sun is shining, if I want to move you, I prefer to put you on the west side of the north side of the building first because that's going to be far more energy efficient because I don't have to cool it so much. So then there's those types of things that you can do so that you can then vary every room to go from a energy saving mode to a comfort mode. And I can react that either based on schedule or based on real time. If I have a very tightly controlled huddle space and if I don't oversize it, which typically you don't want to do in terms of the, uh, the air conditioning and the, and the airflow, I know that if I have four people come into that room for a meeting instantaneously ad hoc, then I know that if by the time the temperature starts to increase, it's already too late. It's going to take X amount of time for me to be able to drop that temperature back into the comfort mode. But if I know straight away four people have come into this room and I tell the building management system that, it can try and control it straight away and not wait for the temperature to rise beyond the spec first before it drives in the extra volume there. So that. The energy efficiency that will drive from that is significant, and then the comfort is significant as well. So now you go back to the well-being of the people inside of that, It affects the well-being of the people in there. I mean, that's yeah. You know, again, a, a lot of that, as you can see, I'm pretty psyched about as to the impact that can have on users.
0: And I think yeah, uh, I, I think the challenge when we take this back to customers or channel partners is that what you and I right now are scoping ideas. Uh, based on logic. I mean, it's almost the definition of an algorithm. You know, if if this is the condition, then then uh, this is the action. And but in in the real world, it, it's hard to convince people to scope their user requirements that way. So they they're mostly looking at it as what buttons do I need? Uh, and it, it this I guess this is the theme of our conversation. I didn't expect to talk about so often. But uh, if we can move towards more logic-based user scoping than visual-based graphic wireframes, etc. Every building, every project will be so much smarter than it is currently. Because yeah, you and I can have all these ideas, but then they get watered down through the channels. And I think that's a bit of a challenge right now.
1: Yeah, and I think part of that re- the part of that reason, John, is is you've got to go back and figure out what are the outcomes that I'm trying to achieve, which has nothing to do with the technology. So if your outcomes are I wanna attract people to work here is a great place to work. I want to retain the people that I have. I want my teams to be agile. I want to use my real estate efficiently. I want to optimize my workplaces. I want to do all of that securely. Then if those are the, the outcomes that you're looking for, then what are some of the key things that will help drive that? And a lot of that is around having your people engaged. So if you have people that are in, engaged it's proven that's like uh okay then you're going to be able to achieve some of those outcomes then you got got to ask yourself well how do you improve that engagement well if you give a great user experience in all the environments that they're sitting in whether it's a conference room a huddle room their desk or whatever that allows them to effectively collaborate they're going to achieve those outcomes that you're looking that you're looking for the challenge then is is you need to have what is your best engagement? And that's a mix of that physical experience, which is is it great audio, video, automatic camera tracking, all those sort of things that you would get from a, a Cisco device, plus the workflow experiences that we that we talked about that's integrated into their workflows and into their environment so they don't have to come out and do and do different things. When you and part of that workflow experience is also you know, what happens during the meetings. We talk a lot about cognitive collaboration at Cisco in terms of the things which you know can mean different things to different people as well. But you know, I can get information on you when we're in a meeting. So if I'm not familiar with everybody that's in there, it can give me information. It's all opt-in, it's all secure. It's those types of things that are in there as well. We just bought a company, Voicea, that does real-time transcriptions. Uh, that can also then actually drive actions So again, open platform. So if I say, okay, great, well, we'll schedule that meeting for 10 o'clock next, next Wednesday morning, it goes, oh, that's an action item. I will go and do that and I'll automatically schedule it. It can take notes and all those sort of things. So there's all these pieces that play as part of the experience to drive the engagement that drives your attracting and retention, uh, you know, uh, capabilities. Because I have, I have customers who say, hey, look, we're best of breed, yeah, you know, we 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 have you know we have all these different platforms and in there and there, and we just expect our users to do you know to do everything. Well, best of breed doesn't mean you're going to get the best experience that drives your your optimum engagement at the user level. Each each platform on its own might be great, but if you don't tie them all together in a way that makes it seamless and frictionless for the users, they're not going to want to be engaged, and you won't achieve
0: those business outcomes. And, and even if there's some crossover between platforms and systems that's that's fine because at least then we know there's no gaps. And yeah. if we have multiple systems in place, uh, or platforms in place, and there's some crossover between what vendor A does compared to vendor B, that's fine as as long as there's, there's no gaps in the middle. So I, I think a lot of vendors are getting better at that as well to make all of these user experiences possible if we can now have the assumption, or oh, whatever we're connected to, we can talk to. And whatever feature that yes. thing does, it's available to us as an API. So, if it's yeah. got context-aware voice, uh, then let's let's. It's safe to assume, oh, we can tie into that. Yeah. So, yeah, look, I, I think uh, I think this has been a a good conversation. I've I've glanced at my notes. I think I've uh, we've covered everything conversationally that we had written down as as questions here. Is there anything you want to cover before we uh, end this this episode?
1: No, I think, uh, you know, I think, I think where we are going from an industry perspective and the things that we can do that really affect uh, affect the users, I think it's just, it's just tremendous. Now, we have some, you know, we have some headwinds in terms of from a video conferencing perspective. People always looked at it and said, oh, I just need video conferencing, check. And they don't take into account all the other aspects, which is why I often say, hey, Think of the uh, the Cisco devices as your, as your iPhone. It's a great interface, but it's the applications and integrations that we can do into the building and things, and how you can interface that really make it a smart collaboration device. And that's what's going to, you know, drive the user behavior. It's not just, you know, it's not just a system where you can just make calls. You know, you, we saw how the telephone went from a telephone into a, smart device and the value that's driven. I'm super excited because I think that 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 video collaboration piece that traditionally was thought of as just video commenting you know, with what we can do now is going to help drive that as well, where people say, yeah, I just don't have a video, I need to have a smart collaboration device in there because just video on its own doesn't, you know, isn't valuable uh, enough when I can get all these other things to improve the environment and to be able to, you know, do what I want to do, which is attract, retain, and have agile workforces.
0: And and I think it's exciting to to use WebEx uh, products and, and technologies uh, for things that have nothing to do with video conferencing, and yes. and yes, and at the very least, that means if there's particularly for meeting rooms and there's already WebEx technology, we can repurpose it for other things that have nothing to do with video conferencing. So you don't have to actively be having a call with someone to get the benefit out of that out of that gear. Um, so maybe it's as simple as counting people in the room. Uh, but it, you know everything we discussed today uh is is where we can take it and and you know we're having ideas in real time and there's there's so many more ideas we could come up with and it's not yeah. really up to us it's up to the customers and up to our partners to to come up with those ideas so i i hope we planted a seed today with a, a few of them um they're obviously common things we're thinking of but i'm i'm excited to see what others come up with.
1: yeah me too well again thanks for uh thanks for having me appreciate it
0: thanks chris thanks Yeah, we'll end it there.